I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I'm Chris Avino with American Outdoor News. And again, we have James Sellers from Sightmark. James, thanks for coming on. Uh, Chris, it's great being here. I'm so happy to be here this morning talking to you about things I care very much about. There's always so much to talk about with you. It's <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if you saw the uh, latest issue of American Outdoor News, but you're in it. Okay, I, I need to catch up on that. When did that publish? Uh, that came out uh, last week. It did. Yep. Okay. Came out last um, week. I'll, uh, all right. I'll after this, I'll, I'll, I'm going to watch it first thing. So um, excellent. Can't wait to see it. Now, um, Selmark is, is such a large company, and it encompasses so much, so many different facets, so many different offshoots. How'd you get started? Well, um, Selmark started um, basically in the garage um, or at the house when I was trying to come up with a new way to, to market. Um, you know, at that time it was goods and services um, and we wanted to integrate sales and marketing together um, because we felt like so many times people market uh, an idea or a message to the wrong people um, and the people that are supposed to bring it into the business aren't a part of that conversation. So they're marketing the wrong people with the wrong message, generating nothing and the people that are responsible for sales aren't even a part of the the connection so i really wanted to integrate those two things um but yeah no at, at that that time you know i think that that system works really well i think summer had a really good philosophy we call it sell marketing today about the core aspects of, of marketing and what we do by the end of the day it's really about identifying a need in the marketplace that's underserved unmet and coming up with a product, a brand, and a delivery system to, to help those people and get what they want. So at the heart, that's what Selmark does. We, we look for opportunities in the outdoor space um, by identifying areas that um, people have needs or desires or passions that they want to do more of, or do it differently. Um, and we make that investment. We create the products we, and we bring it to life and bring it to the market. So was Sightmark the first 
Yeah, SiteMark was our first successful. We've had a couple other attempts of different things that um, were successful in some ways, more from a, an iteration learning um, step to something great. But SiteMark really was a watershed moment because um, we took this concept that we, we were playing around with and, you know, things that we cared about, you know, about the outdoors, about shooting and things we saw in, in the marketplace. And we were like, let's make a brand that really speaks to shooters, um, whether they're, they're competition shooters or law enforcement or hunters or people that just want to defend their families. So originally the concept was that we wanted to, to look at the modern supporting rifle when that was you know, becoming popular. And the time frame in this, so this was being worked on like 2006, 2007. Okay. Um, when we started working on the concept, we didn't have a name for it in 2006. Um, it was just an idea that there was a market out there that needed to be served. Um, and, I, you know, it might be interesting to talk a little bit about what we were seeing in 2006, because um, I think people looking back, you know, may have forgotten how different the industry was um, back then. It was so different. At that time, um, trail cameras were still new. They were using film in 2006. Yeah. Kind of put that perspective. Yeah. Um, night vision was all made in Russia, which was left over from... The, the military production, it was ugly. It wasn't very useful. It was very ergonomically backwards. Green. Um, the Air 15 was um, considered a fringe product. Um, the big Optus companies really cared about traditional hunting. Um, the way that they, they dressed was, I mean, this is where Matsyoke and Realtree were just getting started, I think. Um, it was before uh, Under Armour, it was before... Um, 511. Um, a lot of things in the market were just getting established, like lasers were beginning to be seen, um, and weapon mounted lights were kind of showing up a little bit. Um, at that time, you had defense companies like, um, you know, EOTech and Aimpoint who were doing things in the optics that was very advanced. And then you had a lot of cheap Chinese imports that were not working very well and breaking. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, what's interesting, one of the things that kind of started this whole site mark story was a problem. And the problem, you have you ever sighted in, um, I, I'm sure you have, have you sighted in a, a, a night vision rifle scope, the old kind, the green looking tube ones? I, I've never used night vision. Okay, we got to fix that. Um, <laughs> but prior to site mark, I was working on really growing a, from this bottom up, a new approach to night vision. So we were designing and developing some really cool night vision devices. We took kind of a sleepy category and we made it sexy and cool and we made it ergonomic and it just was really successful. Um, but I have a problem when I go sighting in rifles is I never have enough time. And if you're going to sight in rifles, you have to have time to do it right and you can't rush it. If you ever say that you're, you're going to go hunting, you're going to go deer hunting, um, you got to leave town at three o'clock and you're going to stop at the, at the range at two o'clock to sight your rifle, you're, you're hosed. There's no way that's going to work. Nope. So you experienced that, I'm sure, the frustration of sighting a rifle, um, especially in time constraints. So um, I, I could share some horror stories like, you know, I, I know other people out there, you know, with the, uh, you know, the MOA or, or quarter click adjustments or, you know, if it was entrance inches or metric or whatever. Anyway, some people do it really well. They get in there, they put the, the rifle into the, uh, onto a stand or um, on a bench rest and they dial it in, three shots are done. With me, 
and again, this is probably a confession that should be <laughs> I go through boxes, man. I was like, I'd be needing to get on the road to go to some hunt or some shooting event. And I'm literally, you know, having a mess of it. And, you know, a lot of times of the mounting, I, a lot of times it's like the mounting was loose. So if you don't get the mounting right, it doesn't matter what, how great your optics are, or what you're doing, it's just not going to work. But yeah. anyway, on this particular time, um, we were, um, we were sighting in a rifle and um, I was, I was so far off. And again, when you, we deal with optics development, this stuff's developed in, in, in laboratories and, and um, you have engineers that are inside buildings that are building these optical systems and they're very precise. A slight difference will change the point impact significantly. So I put these rifle, these night vision scopes, first ever produced, first time ever mounted on a rifle. And um, they were so, they needed to be zeroed so radically. The first shot, I'd have to almost shoot it like point blank to find out where the point impact was. So I was like, there's got to be a better way. And that's always the problem is the start of innovation. And other innovation is that um, is the need. And I said, okay, why don't we, why don't we actually have a later version of this? So I'm going to show this. So this, this is our, our from our 10 year anniversary kit. And this is what kind of started Sightmark was like, how do we sight in, how do we sight in rifles better? And we had the problem of all different calibers. And then they had the ones that attached the end. We try to use those universals, but uh, any slight adjustment, it would be like all over the place. So we wanted to make a in-chamber laser that was powerful enough to, to be able to get you within you know, one or two inches. Um, and there's a lot of challenges we had to overcome with this, get this on the market. But this actually was the first Sightmark product. Um, we usually talk about red dots because that's, that's kind of what we're known for. Um, but Boresight is super useful tools. And, and honestly, the, the first Sightmark Boresight prototype was just such a time saver. And that took the frustration of sighting in the night vision scopes at the time that we're using. Yeah. Um, so that was really neat. good idea. Yeah. So that was kind of a fun project and, and, and became, um, you know, very successful. Um, and now you see our bore sites in, all over the country. And um, if you don't have a bore site, you should get it. Um, the in-chamber is definitely a good option. Um, later, we came out with a patent to fix the problem with the, the ones attached to the end of the bore. Yeah. Um, we use a rare earth magnet that uh, attaches it with a, a centering device and then oh. ended up working. It was super easy and it was, it was genius. It was a really great patent. That's redneck ingenuity. Yeah, we have some great <laughs> engineers. So, all right, so we got two things for you, Chris. You got to go night hunting with us and you got to sight in your rifle yourself and, and then the old way and then the new way. <laughs> the old way was always an adventure. Yeah, it was... <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm like you. I would go through a couple of boxes just to get on target. Yeah, and then it is really sad is that you're you're sighting your gun in and you have the first box blown and you're in the second box and you realize that's the last box you have. And then on the way to your deer stand, you got to go pick up another box, but you got to sight the gun in with what you got. Well, I got a brand new Zeiss scope that um, uh, I've been wanting to mount on one of my guns, but I'm afraid to do it because I know it's going to be an adventure. <laughs> right, we'll have to send you a bore sight. So remind me at the end <laughs> to send you what caliber you have. Um, so that, that was, uh, so that was kind of getting into 2007. Um, you know, when we went launched site, we decided to launch Sightmark. And um, this is a terrible confession too. In 2007, we knew we were going to debut this new optics company at SHOT Show. 
So as you know, SHOT Show is like you have to, you're going to be in the industry, you got to be there. And that, that's a chance to unveil the biggest brands, the newest tech. We, um, we, I don't think we had, I don't, I think we're getting ready for the SHOT Show. We called everybody in a conference room. So we have these, these ideas, you know, foresights, and we had ideas for red dots and rifle scopes. And we told everybody, so we need a name for them. <laughs> So, I gotta hear some of these. <laughs> yeah, so it's funny because we're sitting around the table and we're like, okay, we need we need to come up with a name. We're not leaving this room until we come up with a name. And funny thing is on our alternative list, there's a couple names that now are, are trademarks in the industry that we didn't use and they're very successful, So, um, which is interesting. But um, we wanted something that was synonymous with precision and accuracy. So we went through all these different iterations and we wrote them on the board and one by one, we researched them, see if they're being used, if the URL was available. Not and um, I think on the list, Sightmark was like fourth or fifth on the list of names that we liked. And um, it hit, it was available, no one ever, no one's using it and the URL is available. So we jumped on Sightmark and um, I'm glad we did because it's a great, a great brand. Uh, when was the first time that you you came across Sightmark? Uh, it was at Shasha. I uh, remember the year. Oh God, um, two thousand five ish, somewhere around there. Okay. I had started. It's actually a funny story. I had started a uh, website. Um, it was a social network for hunters called See Me Hunt, and. Um, I got it all up and running and I'm trying to get followers and whatnot. And I'm like, all right, now I got to get advertisers. I had no traffic. I had no analytics. I had no nothing. So I'm calling companies. And finally, this one guy is like, well, how many followers you got? I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> so he's like, well, if you're really serious about this, you got to, you're going to have to go to SHOT Show. He's like, you're going to SHOT Show? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to SHOT Show, of course. I had no idea what SHOT Show was. So, <laughs> so I hang up and I Google it and I'm like, okay, I got to go. And I've been going ever since, since uh, I guess 2005-ish. Yeah, 2005 would have been pre-set mark, but you probably saw um, some of the night vision we were working on at the time. So um, yeah, so, so funny thing is 2007, we go to SHOT Show and... Um, <laughs> sounds terrible so we we just came out with a name so as you can imagine we didn't have good branding we had i don't think the i don't think the logo i could be wrong but i don't think i don't think we had a logo in the booth um we had a logo on products and the funny thing about the products at shot show in 2007 is that everything was just like now you had supply issues and getting things in and out of vegas was a nightmare so i think the first day of the show um like an hour maybe like at opening the, the our key new products showed up we didn't even have them when the, I think when wow. the booths when the show started, our new products that we want to debut weren't in the booth yet. I think engineers were bringing them. And um, anyway, we end up by the end of the second day of the show, we had all our new products on display, you know, with our logo and everything, and we took orders for it. And that was an extremely important show. We had such a good response. You know, there was a we 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 bet the farm, as you will, on the idea that Air 15 was going to be the dominant platform. And that we we felt like optics companies should embrace that. And the, again, it's so crazy. In two thousand six and seven, they were afraid of the AR fifteen. They didn't like black guns. They thought it was scary. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, what made you look 
so far ahead because back then the AR was like, it was like a no-no. It was like, you know, what do you want to hunt with that for? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's always this, honestly, throughout history, you send um, young men off to to war and these young men come from the farms and countryside, the best. I know there's a lot of great New Jersey folks, city folks that have been major contributors to the American um, military success. So I should be careful in that. Um, well, in the not, earlier days, let's not confuse things. I'm from New York. You're from New York. Jersey is a whole York, other country. New Jersey, New York, <laughs> definitely, definitely different states. And but you know there are, um, yeah, there's, you know, I think that a lot of the, I mean, let's face it, a lot of the the most successful fighting people get out and they're out in the countryside. They hunt, they fish, they shoot. Um, not saying that people from New York City, but you're not from New York City. You're from upstate. No, I'm Long Island. Oh, you're on Long Island. That's right. You're on Long Island. That's right. But we have but a that, lot of hunting here on Long Island. You have hunting on Long Island. You're not in the city. You're, no. you're, you're further east than that. Um, but anyway, so I think what happens is that when young men go to war and they see these tools that the scientists developed, you know, to, to protect ourselves and engage in, in defending our freedoms and protecting people around the world, um, when they come home, they're not happy with whatever the previous thing that they were using was, you know, that bolt action is not going to cut anymore. So, yep. you know, after the, um, the engagements in, in the Middle East, Afghanistan, Iraq, um, our soldiers came back and they've been using, you know, even Vietnam, they're using the M16. So for a long time, they've been using these, these products and we had the assault weapons ban in 86 mm-hmm. um, that kind of took them off the market. So when that expired, I think two things happened. You had all these soldiers coming home from these, these, these um, overseas actions, coupled with a um, o- an opportunity to own them privately, and um, it just seemed obvious to me. I, I had the opportunity. I always, as a kid, I used to read all the magazines, and I'd see all the, the small arms. And I was so it just the engineering and the, and the ingenuity that went into the two firearms was extraordinary, and fascinating. Um, so I just felt like time marches on. New technologies that you know once were. Uh, only used by militaries and becoming what's used by everybody. So to me, it was inevitable. It was just a matter of when. And um, man, the first time I shot an AR-15, I was hooked. That thing is so much fun. It is. It is. It is awesome. And the things you can do with it, you know, one of the things that struck me, originally, if I don't know if you remember, but they didn't put the rails all over it originally. In 2006, 2007, yeah. some had handles on the things, like the M16. Right. The M16, yeah. You had like hell mounting stuff in the beginning. And anyway, so once they put quad rails on it and rails across the top and you're like, man, you can do anything with this. You can put lights on it, lasers, night vision, red dots, rifle scopes, you know, all this cool stuff. So I was like, this is it. This is a platform that is going to keep the the future generations interested and engaged, not hunting and shooting. So to me, it was obvious. Um, And, you know, if you're protecting your family, I think you deserve to, you know, at least have as good or if not better what uh, the colonels are using so um you know i think it's important that they have that option although they, they you know government don't believe that oh that's a whole nother whole nother that's thing. a whole other topic but yeah um <laughs> but, uh, has that a has that played a role in your decision making you know it really has I, I think i think when you see a major change and shift like that i think if you can jump on that early and support it early um you know, will will lead to to early mover advantage. Um, you know, when we we were looking at 
you know, the next major thing, we wanted to come out with the best red dot. Um, red dots, again, weren't used that much because everyone's using bolt action. So, uh, but again, all these guys come back from Iraq and Afghanistan and they're, they went in there, Fallujah, knocking, you know, kicking in doors and they're using all this, uh, you know, holographic and red dot type um, sites um, end up being extremely effective in urban and close quarter com combat. Um, also turns out to be amazing for hog hunting and, and plinking yeah. and all that kind of stuff too. So, um, but I didn't think the average American wanted to pay five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars for for red dot. Um, you know, again, it's easier when you're using somebody else's money, but when you're using your own money, you want to get the best that that makes sense. Um, yeah. And you get a lot of the things you want to do. You can't use your whole budget on one item because um, now you have this whole platform that you need to outfit with a lot of good stuff. Um, so we decided let's make the best, most accurate red dot possible. And there's a few things in the early days that was kind of staying in the way. Um, the optics that they were using is a single um, lens. Um, and the problem with the single lens system and the, um, the laser diode, a couple things. One, it can make too big of a, an impact dot, which means that you're, if you, it makes it more prone to variance. Yeah. Um, the other issue could be a little bit blurry. That was a big issue we saw in the beginning. The dots weren't clear and crisp. Um, the battery life wasn't where it needed to be. Um, and then you had an issue where, you know, if you put the rifle in the same position every time, you're good. But if you slightly go forward, back, you know, if you're trying to shoot in motion, um, you know, it's too prone to too much parallax. You're going to have too much impact changes. And that's where people weren't super satisfied with um, the options that are available. So we came up with a, a more advanced optical system that corrected for different positions of your eye. So even if you're shooting like here and the dots there, you're still hitting the same point as if you were in, in position. Okay. That was a huge advancement. Um, the recoil um, protection, there's some internal mechanisms we built an all sight mark going forward to this day that when you make your adjustment, it locks it in place as you make your um, windows and elevation adjustment. Other ones don't. So when they shoot, it slides. So that point of impact is moving as you're, you're using it. Yeah. Um, so we, we fixed that issue. We extended the battery life. We needed a crisp, you know, very bright dot. That was good. And noonday new sun was an important element. And we kept evolving and improving the red dot. And I really think that, you know, like the Ultrashot series and M-Spec, um, our, our new minis, um, we have the amazing line of uh, pistol um, red dots to this day that can handle all sorts of abuse. High caliber pistols can be dropped and, you know, any weather, um, super accurate. I think that's one of the things that is really great about Cymarks. Here, here's a platform um, that allows you to outfit your whole firearm for any, any type of scenario that you have using the same kind of uh, high tech that was originally, you know, only available to elite few lasers and lights and, red dots and rifle scopes so you can shoot a mile if you want to. You shoot more than a mile if you want to. We, we regularly, we have yeah. events where we get um, people to shoot a mile for the first time and blows their mind. And then, you know, it's really a lot of fun. Um, and people use it in th um, th three gun. We have competition shooters winning matches all around the world. So that's a lot of fun to see the evolution of the brand and where it's come. But, you know, we, 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 haven't, um, we haven't stopped innovating. Um, you know, when you look in, where do you think, where do you think optics are heading? Like if you could crystal ball, where do you think the next five to 10 years, what do you think the optics are going to look like? Well, I mean, they've advanced over the past 
I don't even want to say the past 20 years because really the past 10 years has really accelerated quite a bit. Um, I think you're seeing a lot more digital uh, integrated into uh, regular hunting scopes. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think five to 10 years from now, every day scope is going to have digital, digital technologies and, and intelligence technologies built into them. And that's where, you know, Sightmark's making a, are, are looking forward to be the perfect, the, the best, most accurate shooting solution. Um, we are now looking at that very, not only looking at it, we're launching that. That right now, those technologies are being introduced on a pretty fast pace by Sightmark. We're, I think we're leading the way on, on digitalization of optics, especially in the daytime uh, area. We're known for our night vision, uh, digital night vision products. Um, but I think where, where things are getting interesting is that now you can have a scope um, that has, yeah, 4K, you know, image, you can record it, you can change all your reticles, Range you can hunting. go, yeah, so you can use it for deer hunting, target shooting, um, teach your, your, your children how to use it, you can go show your friends what you've done, um, you can improve your, your uh, finger troll and your breathing and techniques, you can really dial in um, all those aspects, so it's pretty powerful stuff. You're already seeing rangefinders integrated into uh, binoculars. Yeah. You're going to see that integrated into the scopes, and it takes away yep. all the technical, well, two clicks this way, allow for windage. Just it, It'll just dial in by itself. It's true. I think that uh, I think having those type of technologies are, are doing a couple of things. One, it does make it more accessible to a wide range of people. They can get proficient more quickly. And the thing is with the time constraints now and the average person, they, they don't have the same amount of time to, to live the, the weeks and months outdoors and, and, and do that. Unfortunately, I wish they could, but now they're able to maintain a certain level of proficiency when they go in the field, which makes them safer, which is really important. And it helps them make sure that they're engaging, you know, safely and that, that they're, they're more aware of what's happening around them. I think um, that creates more, like if you're hunting, that creates a more humane shot. You're going to have less uh, trouble with recovery. Um, and you're just going to have more satisfied and happy consumers, which will keep bringing them back outdoors. So I think that's really wonderful side effect of kind of the digital revolution that Sightmark's um, going on, that we're, we're making it more approachable. Um, people will be more successful by being more accurate. Um, you know, they'll, they'll have better experiences and if they're hunting they'll have more recoveries and clean ethical shots which is what we want um i'll say this though i think that at the end of the day one of the things the technology will highlight is that the marksmanship skills that is ultimately the limiting factor at the end of the day you may be aware that you're pulling but you're going to have to figure out the techniques and the yeah. discipline and the practice to eliminate those things so we can bring all the technology in the world at some point and you can identify where it's coming from at some point that the shooter is going to have to, to be the best. They still have to put the practice in. And there's no way, you, unless we put the, the rifles on robots and take the humans out of the equation, which I'm not advocating, but the human factor is always going to be important. So when we design products, it's really designed to make people the best, at, at, um, you know, but they have to practice and they have to, to learn. Get, you know, getting out in the outdoors and, and just getting the feel of a, a firearm, uh, it, it definitely plays a role in being able to hit your target. 
but some of the technology today, you know, uh, at range day, I was hitting targets at 800 yards um, with some of the technology available. I'm in New York. We don't have opportunities to shoot long range. You know, if I take a 75-yard shot, that's a long shot for me. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I don't I don't have long range opportunities. I went to Africa. The guy set me up at uh, 400 yards. I looked at him like he was crazy. You know? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, how satisfying is that to get good equipment? And, you know, um, and, you know, I used to before the opposite company, you know, my my father and my great uncle, they were all advocates using iron sights. Actually, when I was a kid. My, my dad was anti using optics at all. He's like, you can do everything you need to do with iron sights, which is fine. But that meant that I'm shooting up like hundred yards was kind of like my max with iron sights. I could yeah. hit a target in a reasonably sized target hundred yards. Man, when you get behind our, you know, our glass on our rifle scopes, and you, it is amazing. And it's like, first I was like, well, 300 is going to be a tough shot. And bam, you know, center shot first one off. I was like, wow. And then you know that at 100 yards, you know that the drop of the ballistics is going to change it by, you know, so many inches or whatever. And you dial it in, you take the shot, and you hit again. It's just, it's amazing when you know you're working with good equipment and you know a little bit about ballistics um, and how to adjust for elevation. It's not that difficult to take that, you know, a good tight grouping that you did 100 yards and hit a mile. Um, mm -hmm. Granted, if you have, like, windy conditions and you have, you know, some challenges with like heat coming off the ground and things like that, that you're going to have some variability that you just can't control. Um, but it is so impressive just when you get, you get the right technology behind the, a skilled person that has the patience and training. It's amazing what you can do. Well, I agree with uh, your dad and your grandfather where you should learn shooting iron sights before you uh, advance into scopes and digital technology and whatnot. Get the basics down with the with the iron sights. Learn learn the firearm. Learn the the basics, how to handle it, the safety and whatnot involved. Uh, and then when you put on a scope, it's like, oh my god. <laughs> yes, that is true. That is true. It's like um, if you get bad habits, you know, taking shortcuts and stuff. Usually, you hit a brick wall and you can't progress further. I agree. Um, that's how but I, I can't go back. To, I can't go back to iron sights. I just can't do it. <laughs> I always keep uh, under over mounts. So in the event that I choose to use the iron sights, I know it's always there. Yep. That's good. Um, yeah. So it's interesting. I, um, there's a couple of things that um, in sight mark um, that are kind of worth talking about. I think, um, you know, we, we alluded to some of the new products and things are coming with the digitalization, the new technologies being brought into the platform. Um, but we recently, we launched a product a couple years ago, um, which revolutionized night hunting, um, which was the, the digital Wraith. And um, to this day, it's one of the best performing digital scopes ever. It is the best. Well, it is one of the best digital scopes. Uh, and it's a great option for a lot of folks still. Um, and it was the best until we came out with a couple of new options. But one of the things that we had, a um, couple of requests or things that people are looking for, um, you know, there's always kind of this, same thing with your TV. They're always chasing higher resolution, higher def. Yeah. So we have, we've taken the HD and we moved to 4K. Um, and the 4K experience just adds that level of clarity, makes the image that much crisper. Um, and then recording 
better. So it, it's really an amazing piece. And again, that it started as a night vision device primarily, but now I think that it's an all time, you know, it's full color during the day, great resolution. Um, you can record, you can change reticles, all those good things. And then we had um, the latest kind of iteration, a couple things happened. Um, you know, people wanted a, um, a more compact, lighter weight option. So we took the same uh, power and all the features and all the functionality and we put it to a, um, well, I have to, it's, <laughs> it went to a very small compact scope and it's, a, it's an amazing game changer. Um, that is just coming out, um, this 4K Mini, which I think is uh, really a revolutionary scope. What's the weight on that? Um, the weight on that, I would, I can, I'd have to look that up, but I can make that happen. So um, if I do that, let me. Good thing is uh, all this, uh, all the technology changes. There's a lot of details, but if we make it. We did mis demystify it. Um, so it is only uh, 6.3 inches um, wow. to the eye cup. And the eye cup gives you the eye relief. Um, and then, uh, how have the advancements been in the lenses itself? Um, you know, there is some important uh, aspects of lens and lens development, I would say that um, it's where it was the lens technology itself has been around for a while. What we're seeing is that there is the ability to get better glass um, for more applications without the without the astronomical cost that it used to have. So we've seen definitely able to put higher quality product on the market. Um, you know. One of the things with, with, with Sightmark, you know, it's kind of interesting to note, um, you know, if we have a criticism, it's probably because our value is really strong. People are like, wow, we can't possibly be this good. And the truth is that, um, you know, that product should be twice what we're selling it for. Um, but because of modern manufacturing processes and scale, we're able to keep that cost low. Um, and we've and that's, that. Yeah, so we've improved <laughs> the quality, improved performance, now we're on, 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 online with, you know, anybody um, in the industry, but we're able to offer a better value. And we think that that means something to people. Um, and we it hope does. that they... Uh, yeah. some, some of these optics cost more than the gun itself. That's true. And now it's not just, the, you know, they used to have the old adage that you should spend as much on your, your optic as you do the rifle, and that's fine. But I think, I think now that you have so much technology you can bring to your rifle, especially an AR type platform, that you need to have budget for lasers and, and lights. Um, and then you need to be able to switch between a rifle scope, a red dot, or you want a digital, you know, day night system. Um, and Cyborg has all those options. Um, so we can get you outfitted shooting better, longer, more accurately than anybody else. Um, you get a lot more bang for the buck. Um, all right, the weight. Um, the weight is, uh, this is on the Monaco version of the Mini. So we make one without the mount. Um, so the mount would be the main difference here, but it's 21 ounces and some change. So, so super lightweight. Yeah, absolutely. And that yep. makes a big difference when you're shooting. It does. If you're hauling that through the woods and you're packing, that's um, you want to keep the weight down for sure. And the fact that you're not compromising, um, you know, functionality and, and performance, which is really, really great. Um, 
but that's good on our um a couple other things too um you know we have moved further down the the line in our daytime rifle scopes traditional rifle scopes and uh we have um the latitude which is our long distance shooting line that's the one that i use to shoot a mile um wow in the pinnacle series people use for long distance shooting as well um but we came out with the new new scope this uh this year um and it's called the Presidio. So if we're going to get, uh, it might be better for folks like in, in where you are in Long Island and other places where um, you're wanting to really dominate that 100 to 400 yards um, range. It's a perfect scope for that kind of distance shooting, um, getting great, great reviews. People love it. Um, super accurate and just really dependable, um, great all around scope. Gonna have to gonna have to take that for a spin. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so we're gonna have to get you uh, get you set up on foresight. What what caliber are you shooting that you're you're sighting in? Uh, believe it or not, I actually just built a uh, Bowden uh, two two three. Okay. Well, I'm gonna make sure you give our, our, our foresight a try. The 223 caliber, um, we get you the new AccuDot, and then um, I might have you test out one of the patented, um, you know, barrel mounted, which is a universal, okay. which will work with anything. So, uh, if you don't mind, I'd love to hear what you think of those two, and uh, let me know what you think. And any any ideas of, you know, where the application's best, and any tips would be great. We have uh, we do have a, a long range here that is all the way out east, so I'll have to take the drive out and uh, do some two hundred yard shooting. All right, that'd be great. And if you, uh, I, I know you said you had a Zeiss, but uh, you might try the Presidio and maybe even a digital scope. You want to see the future of the technology and, and what it can do for you? That that might be something we're trying to. Well, I did see some of the technology in one of your other companies, and I got to say that's that's uh, another conversation, another uh, another show. But you, you're really off the charts with this. This is really uh, some Buck Rogers stuff. <laughs> yeah, I um, I'm excited about the future is bringing in the market. Um, every actually, we were I was I was walking out of my office, and we had two engineers were in the hallway, and uh, they were working on some new. I can't even tell you what it is because it's, it's brand new stuff. It's all patentable, but they were working on some something in the hallway, and they needed they needed a long distance to go use the thing. And it just reminded me how cool it is to work in an industry with such good people. Um, and then you're you're bringing products that make people's lives better, create those great experiences. And it's just great to work with a group of people that are dedicated to the same. I mean, um, you have so much talent, so many talented people here in the United States working to create. You know, great brands, great products for for the market, and then new stuff's always being developed, and we're not going anywhere. That's the thing with the company. You know, Sightmark is dedicated uh, to fueling that fueling that passion indefinitely. And um, our company, you know, I want to one of the things I'll, I'll say a little bit about the the company. You know, we're based in, in Mansfield, Texas. We're good 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 folks, good people, and we're dedicated in sticking it out for the consumer, for the market and industry. Um, you know, unlike a lot of other companies, we're not owned by an investment company. We're not a part of a conglomerate. We're not a company that's been funded by the government or anything like that. We are independent, you know, bootstrap guys that, you know, work hard. We, we try to do the best we can and we're not going to quit. You know, that's what we're about. Well, this is more than a business for you. I, you, 
you can uh, anybody that speaks to you about you know what you do it's more of a passion it's more of uh part of your lifestyle than anything else yeah and i think i think you do the same way i mean we, we share so much of that and we get up in the morning wanting to preserve our way of life and, and things that matter to us and you know we talk about what's the future look like and i can tell you the future is to keep these guys innovating and creating um you know i uh i'd like to see the, the company stay independently owned i'd like to stay employee uh family owned indefinitely i don't i don't care about um like so many people are just in it for the money that's not what drives us um you know we want to use resources and people and money is important absolutely you can't do anything without it but we want to put that back into you know even more products even more ideas and um yeah. you know i we know that the that we have a i guess i would say we're blessed that we get to do what we do every day um you know we're part of these part of so many people's journeys and experiences and um, that means the world to me. So to think of it, I know at some point I have to hang up the hat and somebody else will take over, but, um, you know, I love what we do. And I think it gives me great satisfaction to hear um, people come up to us and, and tell us how much they like Saimark, like the brand. Um, you know, sometimes I go through through the airport and a TSA, I'll have a TSA agent stop me and say, you know, they see a ball cap or whatever. And they're like, you you know, Sightmark? And I was like, yeah, I, I actually know Sightmark. I said, have you used the new Wraith or new ultra shot or something. I'm like, yeah, I, I may have seen that. It's, it's, what do you think? And he said, well, I'm saving up for it. I have the old version. I can't wait to get the newest thing. And it's my favorite brand. And, you know, I, you know, can't wait you know, to use it. And I think it's so awesome. And when they find out that we were with the company, it's, it's interesting. I mean, um, it's really cool to have people come out and, and shake your hand and say, thank you for putting out a quality product that, that we'd like to use. Um, Honestly, you can't beat that. What can you do in life that's better than that? It's you got to love what you do. And now with what you're doing, uh, falling into the next generation who they're so technology savvy, this, it really, um, you know, falls right into, you know, the, the progression, you know, yeah. kids are constantly on their phone or on their computer or doing something digitally. Uh, why not stick a digital scope in the hand and let them get, stay in the outdoors like we would love to do? It's true. You know, I, I, I wonder how that new generation, we got to get them back outdoors. I think that the technology can help. Um, but, uh, you know, the other thing I think we need to do better at and um, is reaching out to kids that don't have, you know, the opportunity to go outdoors. I don't know. Do you guys have any programs in, in New York? um to help get young people out hunting and shooting uh we have some mentoring programs uh we have you know of course the boy scouts and whatnot um there's not like outdoor foundation outdoor tomorrow foundation gets you know the kids outdoors we really don't have that over yeah. there. um it, it's really generational uh um, yeah you know father son father daughter taking them in the outdoors and uh True getting them outside that's why i think again the families are so important we need our families there to, to pass on our traditions you know i grew up in michigan um which uh um is, is a wonderful state and it couldn't i wouldn't trade for anything um having access to the outdoors and the great lakes was amazing but you know when deer season came around it was an event i mean school shut down um you know you'd be up up north and you'd see truck or car at that time a lot of cars still 
but they would have the you know the deer on the on the hood yeah <laughs> that much anymore but you'd have literally a line of traffic going up north people going to the upper or just you know getting out of the cities to go to go hunting um it was a way of life um everybody was not you know everybody i knew anyway you know was um was looking forward to being outdoors in the season um you know i used to i used to lie awake at, at night you know dreaming about being on hunts and um you know, getting outdoors and doing things and planning fishing trips and planning hikes and all this kind of stuff. Um, yep. I hope kids today get some of that. I really hope we can bring more out. See, I didn't have that. My my father was not an outdoorsman. Um, and nobody I knew hunted, uh, except for my uncles. So my uncle used to take me camping. He took me on my first hunt. He put a gun in my hand for the first time. So it was my uncle that actually got me outdoors. And um, that and Teddy Roosevelt. We used to go to Sagamore Hill on school trips and see all this taxidermy. I'd be like, wow, I want to do that. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know if you can see this, but um, that right there is my Teddy Roosevelt quote. So, um, you know, I, I think that uh, Teddy Roosevelt spoke to me as a young man as well. Just uh, to, you know, you, you can't live a full life, I don't think, without being outdoors. No, it's it's definitely uh, makes you a fuller person. I, I, it, give, it gives you a, a more well-rounded appreciation for what's out there. Now you, you said your father wasn't much of a hunter. Did how did how did how did that conversation go when your uncle told your dad that he wanted to take you hunting shooting? Uh, he wasn't objectable. My my father was a cop, so he mm. you know. He, uh, you know, he was used to firearms. Uh, he just never introduced me to them. And okay. He didn't know he did. You know, it, <laughs> I used to, uh, you know. He didn't know? Uh, There's a story there. What's that home. story? <laughs> I want to hear the story. I used to, I, I tell him now, he gets mad at me. My father's 89. I say, you know, oh, no. you know, when I was younger, I used to take your, uh, 38 out of the drawer and unloaded and and you know puts around with it and he like chases me around the house he's pissed at me <laughs> oh my gosh to this day you get him out riled up but how did you how did you know how to handle it safely how did you do that uh just from i, I don't know it just came naturally i guess i you know i knew to unload it 38 didn't have a safety on it uh it was you know it was a double action okay that's good. I, I kind of think that with my boys, um, you know, as soon as they're old enough, um, I wanted them to know the proper operation and safe use of the firearms because you never know where they go and they come across, a, you know, um, you know, firearm and they need to know how to handle it safely. I, I've come across, uh, we were, we moved to Texas in the eighties and, um, you know, we were, um, we're living in North, North Texas and there was some horse stables and um, that was not being used. We, we used to go just explore and go hiking and came across, um, you know, it was a pistol in a drawer and we were probably 16 or 15 or something. We left it there. But, you know, I wonder, you know, like if some kid that grew up in a household that um, didn't know how to handle firearms and stuff, all they see is those video games and movies. Yeah, um, that's a form of a disaster. So you know, we got to teach the kids safety and expect 
spent this unsecured firearm as much as we try not to do that. Now, as a police officer, you have to have that. That's his tool of his trade. Well, I used to watch him, you know, clean it and unload it. And, you know, he would teach me, you know, uh, safely how to okay. whatever. So I, I knew enough. That's good. You but, know, I think that, that that's awesome. So your your uncle, what was your first exposure? What do you do to get you comfortable? Uh, well, we went out. He used to take us camping all the time, and uh, yeah. you know, we would. He would have his thirty uh, thirty, and uh, you know, we'd plank around with it and do some target shooting. And then, as I got older, you know, he was taking my cousin hunting, and I'm like, wait a minute, I want to go. So then I got my license, and you know, we would all go. And I got to say, God bless my uncle. He was the worst hunter out there. I don't think I've ever seen him shoot a deer. But, um, you know, the, the, the whole um, package of hunting, uh, being out with your friends and family, enjoying camp after coming in from being in the field. And, you know, he made the whole experience enjoyable. And that's great. Still to, still to this day, that, that's a big part of it, being in hunting camp. I think that's good. I, I think... I went to visit my grandfather. Um, actually, it was in California. He lived in California at the time, um, San Ynez, which is where at the time Reagan had his ranch. But um, it's actually funny. I was shooting guns near where Reagan's ranch was. But anyway, um, huh. we uh, we went down by there's a little stream. Went down by the stream, and um, my grandfather took his 22 and handed it to me, and he went through the you know, the ins and outs of it, how to how to you know hold it properly and how to pull the trigger and the safety and how to load, unload it and everything. And um, I, I don't know the exact age of that, but I, I was probably, I think like six, maybe six or seven. Um, the first time that I, I started shooting. Um, I think with a couple of things that he did, it was really nice. One, he made it a moment, you know, with where he connected with him. My dad was there as well. And um, he told me about the importance that he said that every, everybody in Everybody has to have a fundamental respect for the farm. And in order to handle a farm, everyone should handle the farm safely up and understand its operation. Um, so he broke it down and then he made it like, I don't know how to explain it, but it's almost like by giving me the firearm, he was bringing me into our culture mm -hmm. and said that you are now on the path to becoming a man. And I trust you with this tool um, that improperly, improperly used could be dangerous, but I trust you. And this tool could be used for, you know, defense or put food on the table or just for fun, if, you know, used correctly. And it just was a very profound moment. And then the satisfaction of, I can't remember if it hit the first or second, doesn't really matter. But once I realized that I could do it, as a young man, that was such a confidence builder. It really was a game changer. So it's yeah, literally a rite of passage. And I, you know, at that moment, I was hooked. Um, I was inseparable. I, um, my dad ended up giving me um, access to his twenty-two, which came from his uncle, by the way, which I'm pretty sure taught my dad how to shoot. My great uncle. Wow. Um, and uh, I used to keep that twenty-two, and and we had a loft, a cabin up north, in Michigan. I used to keep that twenty-two by my bed, and. Um, Every, I would, if it wasn't every day, it felt like every day. Um, I would grab that rifle and I'd go down to my dad and said, Dad, I want to go shoot. And we'd go to, I'd go to the junkyard, shoot cans and bottles. And if I was lucky enough to see a rat, I'd shoot that too. 
And uh, he would give me a box of 22s and give me the bolt. And then I'd put the, 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 um, put the bolt in, put the you know bullets in my pocket and I'd go out walking the woods and shooting bottles and cans. So that's when, a lot bullets, of fun. Were, when bullets were affordable. <laughs> yeah, I, re I remember uh, having a um, DuPont box of 22s and it said 25 cents on the side of uh, the box, which I think it's been a long time since the box of 22s cost 25 cents. You know, I still have my grandfather's Sears and Roebuck shotgun. Wow. Sears used to have their own line of firearms. <laughs> that is great. How's it shoot? I haven't shot it. I'm afraid to shoot it. <laughs> yeah. Thing might blow up in my hands. Yeah, be careful. It's old. It's, you know, not very, you know, well taken care of. But it's, uh, it's yeah. something to hang on the wall. That's pretty neat. You know, it's interesting. Again, times have changed. You know, firearms were available at Sears Robux catalog. Um, yeah. the, the, every high school, I talked to some folks that uh, are now up in their age, but they said that when they were kids, every school had a shooting team. Yeah, they did. And I think it's a few far in between today. You know, back in the time when every place that's pulled down, people go hunting, and then they had shooting um, sportsmen shooting clubs at every school. Yep. No craziness. There's no, I, I'm not aware of any of the stuff that we have today. And it's funny, it's like the further we get away from our pathos, our lifestyle, our, our beliefs, and we get the kids stuck on iPads and phones and social media and terrible video games and stuff like that, the more violent we're getting. And they want to go further that direction rather than take us back to where we're supposed to uh, be. That's, that's a whole different conversation, but that's a it's social true. and cultural decline. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's the direction we're going and we just need to turn it around. We do. But on that note, we are definitely running out of time. And yes. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, we're going to have to do this again because we got a lot more to discuss. Thank you, Chris. It was a pleasure. And uh, I think on the last note, that's why we do what we do. We want to instill those values and continue our, our traditions and uh, get stronger as a people. You got to do it by getting outdoors. And I'm glad to be a part of that for a lot of folks. So thank you for the opportunity to share the story. I appreciate it. Thank you again. And I'll speak to you real soon. All right. Sounds great. Thank you. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference.